You can open up in your Bibles. We're going to be over at Matthew chapter 5. James Schaefer, the University of Minnesota, did a 10-year study of a bar in Missoula, Montana. He followed up with a three-year study of 65 bars around Minneapolis. His startling conclusion, country, western tunes, and alcohol go together. He found that the lyrics tend to be sad laments about love gone sour, personal freedom and solace found in the bottle. Particularly powerful drinking inducements are songs that celebrate heavy drinking by making heroes out of drunkards. Dr. Schaefer heads the University of Minnesota's Drug and Alcohol Abuse Program. He studies found slower music went with faster drinking, adding hard drinkers prefer listening to slower-paced, wailing, lonesome, self-pitying music. His conclusion, no doubt about it, country and western can be a prescription for trouble among people with little self-control. If you don't believe this, if you don't believe this is true, consider the following top ten list of real song titles and lines from country western songs. These are read in reverse order. If my nose were full of nickels, I'd blow it all on you. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. If I were oil, I'd be a court low. If I'm sorry, if love were oil, I'd be a court low. My wife ran off with my best friend and I sure do miss him. If the phone don't ring, baby, you know it's me. You did hear that right. If the phone don't ring, baby, you know it's me. I'm just a bug on the windshield of life. I fell in a pile of you and got love all over me. I don't know whether to kill myself or to go bowling. You done tore my heart out and stomped that sucker flat. How can you believe me when I say I love you when you know I've been a liar all my life? What a way to look at love. We're going to be looking at love here in a whole different way. <laughs> Because we know that God's love is a whole lot better than what the world has to offer out there. And God's understanding, God's, God's way of looking at love is just, that it's not based on circumstances, it's not based on emotions, it's not based on any such things. And last week we looked at John chapter 15. We saw that we had the vine, the vine dresser, and branches. We were looking at... Uh, at the branches before with uh, the things on, on Wednesday night. But last, last week we were looking at how we are to understand fruits. What is, what is fruit? Oh, it was last Sunday we were looking at the, the branches. Jesus said, I am the true vine. So we know that He is the vine. Who is the vine dresser? The Father. And who are the branches? Out of that group, what bears fruit? The branches do. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. We looked at that and understood that if He's a true vine, there are other vines that we could be attached to. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, meaning they're already saved. Abide in me and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine... And neither can you unless you abide in me. So just because we're saved, just because we are part of the vine, does not mean we will bear fruit. 
Bearing fruit is different from being saved. And we do not automatically bear fruit just because I'm a saved person. So we have to understand what it is that bears fruit. How is it that I can tell that I'm bearing fruit? How is it that I can know what fruit I'm bearing? Because he says that if every branch that doesn't bear fruit, the Father loves and takes care of, right? Is that what it said? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, who, the vine dresser, takes away. So I would say it's pretty important that we understand what bearing fruit is. Too often we have thought that bearing fruit is getting people saved. And we look at ourselves and say, I haven't gotten a whole lot of people saved. Or maybe we look at ourselves and say, I have gotten a whole lot of people saved. And we look at our fruitfulness in that area. But there's a difference. And as we get into the series, we're going to see what the difference is. But what the Word of God wants us to do is to bear fruit. It is imperative that we bear fruit. And God has given us the ability to bear fruit. But we have to know how to become a fruit-bearing branch, what fruit is, and how we can tell that it's there. Obviously, there's a way we can tell that it's there or Jesus wouldn't give us all these commands. So that's what we looked at last week. This week over in Matthew chapter 5, and we usually put these up on the screen for you. Since we're not able to do that today, if you need a uh, Bible, just raise your hand. Our usher will be happy to get one for you. For you to follow along with until we get our other means all fixed up. Matthew, 5th chapter, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do, what do, you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, here's what we need to understand. Last week as we saw Jesus teaching on the vine, the vine dresser and the branch, he went on from there and he began to talk about love, obedience, and joy. And since his emphasis was on fruit, we have to understand that love, obedience, and joy are some of the things that are fruit-bearing. Some of the things that bring fruit in our life. So we're going to take a little closer look at them. He said we're, we can be part of the true vine, so we need to know what true love is. There was an eight-year-old who wrote about love and true love. She said, love is when daddy reads me a bedtime story. True love is when he doesn't skip any pages. Well, everybody's idea of true love is a little bit different, isn't it? But there's a true love that, that God looks at. Now, he talks about here, as far as the love is, about loving your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Who are our enemies? There are three reasons that people come against you. First off is ignorance. Secondly is selfishness. And third is destruction. Either they have something they're ignorant about, or there is a selfish aspect to them, or they're just out for your destruction. These are some of the reasons that people will come against you. But Jesus says that we're to love our friends and love our enemies. 
Now, this section of Scripture, we haven't covered it in a while. It's been about four years since we have gone over this. But it's important for us to understand it because a misunderstanding of this Scripture has gotten a lot of Christians in trouble. And they have pursued what they thought was true love, what they thought was the God kind of love, but it wasn't. It was a human definition of what God's love said. We have to make sure that we do what the Word says, not what we think the Word says. It's more, imper- more important that we truly understand the Word and do what it says than that we come up with some kind of idea and go ahead and do that. Now he says here, first off, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what's been said. But he, here's what he says. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. So here's some four things he tells us to do. First off, everybody's favorite, but I say to you, love your enemies. Everybody loves to love your enemies, right? The word there for love is the word agape. Love your enemies. This is a love that is not based on you. It is not based on the other person. Love is based on the nature of the person that gives the love. The nature of the love of God is agape. If we're going to love someone with agape love, we love them according to the nature of God. We let His nature become part of us. And we love them according to that. We don't love them because they've done certain things. We don't love them because they're nice. We don't love them because they're pretty. We don't love none of those things. We love them because of the God in us. The Word of God says that He pours His love into our hearts. So His love is what needs to come out from us. So when I love according to Him, it speaks of the character of God. And it, it gives testimony to people about the character of God. Who God is. What God's about. God says before we were even following after Him, before we were loving Him, before we were pursuing Him at all, it says that He loved us. He loved us first. Even when we were against Him, He loved us. And that's the example that we have. Love your enemies. Agape your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Now the word there for for bless those who curse you, the word means to speak well of or to bless, to thank or invoke a benediction upon or to bless or praise. Too often when he says here, bless those who curse you, we keep thinking monetarily. That if someone has cursed me, then what I need to do is to you know, bless them with a car. Bless them, uh, help up pay one of their bills. Go over and feed them. And stuff like that. And we get into this notion that if they curse me, I need to go out there and do something financial for them or go on over and and help them out and do something in that way. But if somebody curses me, how do they do it? With their mouth. They say something against me. We find out. How many have ever heard somebody who said something against you? Well, that's them cursing you. They say something against you. It may have been founded on some truth, but then expanded upon or, or uh, it may have been completely out of context or completely wrong. Maybe they just made up stuff. However it was, they said something about you. That is what it's talking about here. If they curse you, they say something against you. The word here for bless, let me give you the definition again. It means to speak well of, to bless, to thank or invoke a benediction upon, to bless or to praise. Do you hear anything in that word about financial blessing? Do you hear anything in that word about buying them a car? Or buying them a horse or a mule or whatever they would have bought them back there, a donkey. Whatever that. No, it's not in there at all. 
Because that's not what God is asking you to do here. When he says to bless those who curse you, if they curse you, they did it with their mouth. He's saying with your mouth, you bless them. Because the typical response is, if someone says something against us, we want to say something against them. But what the Word of God says here, no, if they come against you with their mouth, you bless them with yours. Now, that still is not necessarily easy, but it still is better to do what God said than what people have told you God said. Because a lot of people go out there and say, no, if they come and they curse you, you need to go out there and buy them a suit of clothes or bless them with some food or whatever it is you're supposed to do. That's not what he's saying. Let's go with what Jesus said. The Greek is extremely descriptive. And they have all kinds of words that mean all kinds of things. And when this particular word is used for bless, it means to speak well of or to bless. This word is used about 40 times in the New Testament referring to blessings spoken over a meal or a person and in praising God. So we have a pretty good use of this word in the New Testament. Love your enemies. Agape your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Romans 12 and verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What does he mean by curse? Speak something against them. Don't speak something against them. Speak something for them. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 12. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. I forget who it was. I think it was either Wesley or or one of the uh, recent uh, fathers of the faith who was asked what he thought of a particular fellow minister. And he said all kinds of nice things about him. And uh, they said, well, that's not what he thinks about you. And they began to quote some of the things that he said. And he said, well, you didn't ask me what he thought about me. You asked me what I thought about him. But see, sometimes people go out there and they'll say all manner of evil about you. And you just need to go out there and find out for yourself what's going on. You know, this media that we have out there today, they're constantly saying nasty things about people. And then when they find out the whole story on the whole thing, they just cut it. They don't go back, bother to go back and say, well, we, we misspoke on that. They, didn't. they don't bother doing that because the bad news is, is better news. And they'll go out there and they will say something about an individual and they'll paint a picture about them and say this and that and that and shape all manner of the public opinion about them. And then just let, let them go there and just, just let it go. And we've seen this countless times just in the last year or two that people have done it. We went over the thing with BP. And again, I'm not a BP fan. But they've said so many things that you get this idea about this company that's uh, trying to do things to harm things. And actually, this company's been working pretty hard to try and take care of the problem, which we found out. How many of y'all know they're all still looking for the oil? Where's the oil? (laughs) And they worked so hard to try and get this to be a problem that when the oil couldn't be a problem, you know what they immediately went out there and did? They said, well, they used too much dispersants. Did you hear about that one? They said they used too much dispersants and they were getting all over BP trying to make BP the bad guy because they used too much dispersants. Well, the group that, uh, I forget which group it is, the EPA I think it is, who, who um, gave the recommendation, they said of the amount that they wanted to use, we recommended they use about 72% of it. They used about 75%. So it was about 3% different. That's how much difference that it was. And they wanted to make them out to be the bad guy because now we don't have a bad guy. There's no oil. They can't find the oil. You know why? Because the ocean breaks it up. It eats it alive. 
It does it on a regular basis. It does it continually. As long as you keep it out there in the ocean. But our government stood in the way of that stuff being out there in the ocean and did everything intentionally possible to get that oil on the land. Because you get it on the land, you have a crisis. And they needed a crisis. And when they ran out of that, you know, they had all the news. Where's the oil? We know the oil's out there somewhere. It's going to hit us. We just know it. Because they always want the crisis. And they made BP to look like such a bad person. The head of BP even said, this is not a whole lot of oil when you look at the whole Gulf. And he was, oh, they said all manner of evil about him. But then we find out, you know what? It really wasn't all that much. In fact, I heard that one person put it, uh, uh, they, they said if you took a soda can, a 12-ounce soda can or a 20-ounce soda can and put it into something like Texas Stadium and filled all of Texas Stadium up with water, that's how much oil was released. That's a pretty small amount, isn't it? Now, again, it's, it's when you have a small amount in a small area, it can be a problem. And no one's trying to take away from that. And they, they worked on it. They took care of it. But we don't have the crisis that they all said. But they still go out there and they badmouth this one. They badmouth that one. They just love badmouthing people. They want to badmouth the rich. You all think the rich are just wrong people. And they aren't. They pay most of your taxes. Rich people pay money. You can go up on the IRS site and find that on out out there, five percent of the of the people in this country, I think I think if I remember their numbers, five percent of the people in this country pay forty percent of the taxes. And you can go up on the IRS site itself, they actually publish what the percentages are. But they want you to feel bad about the rich. We had people trying to make you feel nasty about people who drank bottled water. That was going around for a while. Think bad thoughts about people who smoke. And that we ought to be able to go into their own homes and tell them they can't smoke in there. If you let them go into their own homes and tell them they can't smoke, they're going to be able to come into your own home until you can't preach the Word of God. But you see, they create a villain. That's what they always want to do. But don't do it. Just keep going out there and just saying good things. Just bless them. We were just talking about it recently. Jeff and Chris, they moved out to Texas uh, some time ago. But uh, they used to talk about it all the time, that the company that they had, that no matter what they did, no matter what change they did, because they were on commission, Whatever they did would benefit Jeff and Chris Hickson. And they would give a number of testimonies about no matter what they did. And a couple of times they made changes and it didn't look like it would bless Jeff and Chris Hickson. But after a week or two or a couple of months, it came on back and they found out, you know what, we got blessed by that. <laughs> and they would get up and they'd give the testimonies. Because they wouldn't let cursing come out of their mouth. Even though it looked like people had done things against them, they just kept blessing and had blessings come out of their mouth. And blessings came back on them. Make sure that you follow what the Word of God says. Out of your mouth, don't let cursing come. But bless them. So that's what he's saying. Let's make sure we do what he said to do and not what we have been told by other people. The word there, curse, is used a, a couple of times in Mark eleven twenty one and James 3, 9. We're not going to get into all those. We actually covered this not so, like I said, about four years ago. But I put those in there if you want to go back there and take a look at that. He said, do good to those who hate you. The word here for good is the word kalas, and we've covered this word a number of times in a number of different aspects. But it means good, excellent in its nature and characteristics, and therefore well adapted to its ends. This is what it means. Good, excellent in its nature and characteristics, and therefore well adapted to its ends. It was applied by the Greeks to everything so, so distinguished in form, excellence, excellence goodness, usefulness, as to be pleasing. Again, it's used almost 40 times in the New Testament. 
but most times we it is used to describe something well said or well done. Jesus answered the Pharisees, Well you have done, well you have shared in my distress, Paul, or let the elders who rule well. Those are some of the ways that we, we see this thing used, this, this particular word used. Matthew 12, 9 through 13 and Mark 7 through 37. Let's take a look at Mark 7. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. What are they talking about? He has done all things well. They're speaking about the things that Jesus would teach, the things that Jesus would say, and even the things that Jesus did here with the healing of folks. Over in First John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now the word here for goods is the word baos, and it means that by which life is sustained. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for who? The, the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So here it's speaking about if you see someone who has a need, and we're not just talking about any kind of need, oh, I want that, or, but a need for, for the sustaining of life, and you withhold when you have stuff to give. This wrong. Don't be doing the love of God. How are you walking in the love of God? Don't be out there and doing, doing that. We want to walk in true love. We want to go in the way that our Lord Jesus has told us to go. He said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. This is not talking again. It's not talking about going out and buying somebody a car. Buying them a house. Paying off their bills. It's talking about doing those things that are sustaining life. Jesus went out and did good. He healed the sick. He opened up the ears of the deaf. If they were hungry, He fed them. These are the things of what it speaks about. If you want to do good, then do the good that Jesus is talking about. And that's the good that's exemplified here. Do good to those who hate you. Well, if they hate you, are they going to be doing good things to you? But it doesn't mean that I have to go out there and... And, you know, move them. Or, or stuff like that. What it means is, if I find someone who hates me and they're sick, and the power of God is on me to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, what should I do? Go over there and lay hands on them. That they would recover. Didn't Jesus have to lay hands on people who, who hated Him? Didn't Jesus lay hands on people who went out from there and then spoke evil of them? And did and said things? Even how many people were at the cross hollering for Jesus to be crucified. How many people in the crowd had been healed by the ministry of Jesus? Or maybe even by the ministry of when He sent out His disciples? Jesus healed a lot of people. be pretty hard-pressed to not find some of them in that crowd. And you know people can get changed. How many people have you done really good things for, really helpful things for, and you thought they'd be your friend for life? And then something happened and they turned on you. 
Don't we often think, but wait, I did this for you. Let's see, we don't focus on that. If we're going to walk in true love, do good to those who hate you. Doesn't mean go out there and buy them a car, give them your motorcycle. Stuff like that. If God specifically says something like that to you, then you go ahead and obey God. But don't do it because you think this is what the Word of God is teaching you about here. In Matthew 10.22, we see the word hate used, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. There are people that are going to hate you not because you did anything bad, not because you did anything wrong, just simply because of Jesus. Simply because of the Word of God in you. They will hate you for it. But if you just look at the attitudes of the media, I don't watch them, but I hear still some of the attitudes. And you take a look at how they respond to people that are serving Jesus. You look at how they respond to people that are going to church. You get a politician who uh, at one point in his life went to a church where they raised their hands or spoke in tongues. What will they do? If they got into a church that believed that laying on hands would bring healing, what would they do to that politician and that person who's running for office? You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Don't be, don't be fussing about it. If they don't like you because you're a Christian, they don't like you because you hold to the Word of God, you don't worry about it. You just keep on going because God's taking care of you and you keep operating the way He says to operate. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Speak out of your mouth good things for those who speak out of their mouth bad things. Don't return a bad thing for a bad thing. Don't just don't do it. Brother Hagen used to teach us when we were down at school. He said ministers will rise and fall. Because you know there were a lot of ministers and sometimes you get into the ministry you, can, you find out some things going on with different people. And he says, he told us specifically, he warned us like he, I've never heard him warn us about anything else. He says ministers will rise and fall. He said you make sure you have nothing to do with their fall. In other words, don't go out there and speak evil. Don't go out there and spread things about folks. You just let God take care of them. And God surely will. And then he says this. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Spitefully use is to insult, to treat abusively, to use despitefully or to revile. Now, see, sometimes we get people have taught from these Beatitudes that Jesus is teaching here that if someone were to break into your house to steal your goods and they came in with a gun, that you should just, well, just go right on ahead. I just need to bless you even though you're, you're my enemy. Even though you're not doing good things to me right now, I just need to do good things for you. So you just go right on ahead. And they just want to lay down and, and do it. You know what the Word of God would tell you to do if an armed robber came into your house? Take them out. What did Jesus teach us? He said if a strong man comes into the house, or if a man comes in to rob a house, what's he have to do? First off, bind the strong man. Jesus is telling you, you know, you have a greater force than the one coming in. They won't be able to do anything against you. And you should. When they came into the garden, and they all came in with all their armed stuff, and they were going to hurt people to get Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they all fell over. That's some power. 
he exercised some power over them. They all fell over. So they're all down there on the ground. And he said, I said to you, who do you seek? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I already told you I am he. Let these other ones go. And they all ran off. What did he do? Protected those that were with him. You have every right to protect those that are in your household. And the Word of God would never tell you to take a stance to not protect those that are in your house, to not to protect your wife, and to not protect, protect your kids. He would not tell you to do that. And Jesus in the Beatitudes is not telling you to do that here. He never says to go to a point to love your enemies to the point of denying those that are under your care. That's an attitude the United States has taken anymore. We are putting more into illegal aliens to protect them than our own citizens. And that is atrocious. That is not what our founding fathers intended. But that's what we are endeavoring to do. We have a ways for, for aliens, immigrants, to come over and to come over legally. And they should follow the legal way. And if they don't, they should be arrested and deported, put back in their home. We have ways for them to come over here and to do it. And it's good that they follow those ways. But our country has taken a stance. That whole thing about Arizona. They all, Arizona. Did you all hear that ruling that went out there in Arizona? What a ridiculous ruling. What they basically said was that if the federal government will not uh, enforce the law that is on their books, neither can you as a state supersede the authority of the federal government. That is basically what they said. Because Arizona just rose up and rewrote what was in the federal government law, just, to re just rewrote it and said, we're going to enforce it because until we rewrote it, then our state folks can't enforce a federal law. And so we'll just make it a state law as well as a federal law and then our state people can enforce it. And so they said, no, if the federal government has chosen not to enforce that rule, you can't enforce it either. Is what the judge said. That's ridiculous. Protect those that are, that are yours. The responsibility of our government, one of the main responsibilities they are been lacking on for years is to protect its citizens. It's been going on for a long time. Not just this president, previous presidents as well have ignored protecting our borders, but that's one of their main responsibilities. And they've been lacking on it. But as far as your house is concerned, do not ever get under guilt and condemnation to think that if someone entered into your home, that, oh, I have to make sure that I enter into this in a Christian way and I need to bless them and I need to you know, love them and well, shooting them wouldn't be loving them. Well, it's not going to be loving your family either. If you have a gun in your house and they come in, shoot them. Shoot them. Absolutely. They have no right to be in your house and what reason do they have for being in your house? I mean, why are they in there? They are in there to take stuff. Now, what's the Word of God say about us coming against the devil? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the God says, well, just love on him when he comes in. Right? Isn't that what the Word of God says? Just love on the devil. When he comes in, you just make him feel welcome. Just love on him. <laughs> He's just there to steal, kill, and destroy. You don't worry about a thing. You just love on that devil. Is that what he says? He says, no, you take authority over that. You bind that boy up. You get him out. Now, if somebody comes into your house and you have a gun, point the gun at them, say, you have some opportunity here to leave. And if they don't take it, do not think that the Word of God is going to come after you if you shoot them. Now, if you decide not to have a gun in your house, you're not going to be able to shoot them. 
That's up to you. I'm not going to go around and ask you whether you have a gun in your house. You're not going to ask me if I have a gun in my house. We were at a, a, a new doctor. We had to move all of our stuff. 25 years we were at with one doctor and just got frustrated with some things. And so he moved all of our stuff over to another guy. He's closer. Helps out. So I got on in there and they had the form. And they had the health hazards. You know, do you smoke? Do you drink? and stuff. On the form was, do you have a gun in the house? To me, it was none of your business. I left it blank. I didn't put no. I didn't put yes. I didn't put anything on there at all. And if they asked me about it, I would tell them it's none of your business. They did not ask me about it. It's none of their business if I have a gun in my house. If I choose to have a gun in my house, I choose to have a gun in my house. If I choose not to have a gun in my house, I choose not to have a gun in my house. But it's my choice. It's also yours. You you take whatever choice that you want to. But if you know Kung Fu, you don't have a gun in your house, and they come into your house, you can use that on them and subdue them. If you decide that you don't want to, you can do that too. But don't do it because you think the Word of God is telling you as such. You have a responsibility to protect those. You can go through the Old Testament time after time after time. And how was, what was God's attitude towards people who came against Israel to, and meant harm? Take them out. And if they didn't do it, God sometimes said, you know what, just stay back. I'm going to do this one. <laughs> and God took them out. You know, don't you feel that's against God? God loves His kids. He loves everybody. But he especially loves his kids, those who have decided to follow after God. And he will rise up and protect you with everything in him. He will do it. And he has no problem with you doing the same thing. So don't let people get out there and teach you stuff. That, well, this is the word of God. You need to be pacifist. You need to not, not do any of that. If you want to be a pacifist, that's your choice. It's not the word of God teaching it to you. And I'm not going to get on you. If you want to be a pacifist, I'm not going to get on you and make you change your mind. Not my role, not my responsibility. I don't have to do that. But if if you want to go out there and say, you know what, if somebody comes into my house, I need to use force against them, you go right on ahead. And you do that, I'm not going to condemn you for that one either. Glory to God. He is there to help us out. He's there to... God wants us safe and protected. And this, this Beatitudes were not there teaching you just to lay on down and let anybody do whatever they want to to you. Because we don't have that exemplified in the Word of God. They didn't do it to Jesus. Jesus, He got His Word so powerful, He spoke a word. And they all fall down. But He says, pray for those who spitefully use you. That's a pretty tough one right there. And you don't need a whole lot of Greek to get into that one. Spitefully use is to insult, to treat abusively, to use to spitefully, to revile. We have here that I have in my notes that it's used a total of three times, but only once in another setting. Two of the times that it's used is actually used uh, twice in this, in this setting. First Peter chapter three verse thirteen, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So he basically says this. 
If people are going to get out there and speak evil against you, if people are going to get out there and defame your character, you keep on with the character you are. You don't get out there and defame them. You don't get out there and put them down. You don't get out there and expose how evil they are. All you do is you get out there and you stay with the truth. You hang on to the truth and the Word of God says the truth will rise up. He says your good character will rise up. You don't worry about all that other stuff. You don't, you don't fuss with it. You don't want to get out there and, and, mess, and, and use wrong words. Tear people down. You don't need to do it. That is not godly. We don't have to do it. We just proclaim the truth. Now, there were times that people came against the truth. Didn't come against Paul or Peter. They came against the truth. And when people came against the truth, Peter, Paul, John, Jesus, all these, they rose up and defended the truth. But they didn't sit there and put people down. They just defended the truth. And sometimes the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the folks like that look kind of stupid. But they didn't get out there to try and put them down. They just defended the truth. And you're allowed to do that. Get out there and defend the truth. But just keep on being loving. Do it in a, with the right attitude. The word for persecute means to harass trouble, molest one, or to persecute. That's from Thayer's. Bless those who what? Or, I'm sorry, pray, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. To harass, trouble, molest, one, to persecute. It means to... And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, let me just read this to you. Concerning zeal, this is speaking of Paul, he was persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. When he was persecuting the church, what did he do? He came against it. He fought against these folks. And that's the same word that's used here. In Philippians 3 and 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Same word there. That I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. But I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. He's using the same word there. To harass trouble. and to He's... Not that I have already attained or already perfected, but I press on to lay hold of that which... Anything that would come against Paul that would keep him from pressing on to that goal, he's using a word to describe this. I persecute the things that come against me. I harass, I trouble the things, not the people, the things that come against me. He goes on, one more verse, verse 14. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, who is being spitefully... Uh, I'm sorry. I, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call. I press towards... Again, we've seen the same word there. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. He's using the same word for persecute, persecute as he is going here. I am pressing on. I am going after. Because when he persecuted the church, he pressed on. He pressed on to get them. Now he's saying, I pressed on to go into this direction. When he's saying that people are coming at us and they persecute you, they press on against you. They keep after you. They keep coming after you. He says you keep these attitudes. You don't worry about them. You defend the truth. You stand for the truth. And God will defend you against others. You don't have to worry about if they, if they curse you, that, well, I've got to put them down. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to put them down. Do not put them down with your words. If they come after you physically and you have a responsibility to defend the people in your house, you go ahead and defend the people in your house. 
But we're talking here, most, what he's talking about here is the things that people say with the words. Because that's what we encounter most of the time. When was the last time you ran into a fight? When was the last time somebody came after you to fight? It's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, when high school, you know, you run into that all the time, I think. But after you get out of high school, it kind of quiets down. Last time I remember I was in a fight, I was going to Ramah. And me and a professor, no, not really. <laughs> no, it wasn't a professor. It was a roommate I had out there, the first roommate I had when I was over in the, in the school. And I didn't know him, but I got hooked up with somebody. Uh, my dad knew somebody out there, and, and when I got him out there, they helped me, uh, gave me a place to uh, hold up till I found something. Well, that turned out they knew someone who was looking for a roommate. They weren't a Raymond student. They wanted to be. They said a Raymond student, but they weren't a Raymond student. So we got together and said, all right, well, you know, we'll just split the cost of the thing. So we did. And uh, it just wasn't working out real well. This guy was not real considerate. And um, he decided on his own that he wanted to go out and find his own place. I mean, he would bring his girlfriend over. And it wasn't a real good situation that was that was there. And so he decided on his own that he was going to go out and move out. And so, you know, I, I blessed him on that. Yes, you go ahead and move out and find your own place. That's all just fine. I'll find somebody else to move on in here. And uh, so he had already moved his stuff out. But he had a, still had a key to it. And so one time I'm, I'm over there and at the table studying, getting some things ready. And he came on over with his girlfriend. Oh, used the key to get in. And I told him, I says, well, you, you don't live here anymore. He actually came in, sat down on the sofa and turned the TV on. <laughs> sitting there just to watch the, the TV with his girlfriend. And I said, no, you're not coming in here to take over the place. He says, you moved out. He said, all your stuff is gone. And I'm looking for another roommate to take your place. You don't need to be here. And he started arguing with me that he had a right to be here. And uh, after we're going back and forth on this discussion, and all of a sudden his girlfriend says to me, now guys, don't fight. And I looked at her. I said, don't fight. Like, why? <laughs> why would anybody do that? And just like that, he launched himself off of the sofa and, and uh, came after me. Now, I'm not the best fighter in the world. I don't have a whole lot of practice at it. But I was better than him. And there were no blows or punches exchanged or anything like that. But I got him in a really good headlock. I wrestled for a year in uh, junior high school, so I knew a few things and remember some stuff. I got him in a really good headlock. And, you know, a headlock can be painful. And I made sure that there was some pain. And uh, as he squirmed, we just increased the pain. When he stopped squirming, we released it a little bit and we let the pain subside. And then if he started squirming again, I increased the pain. And I said, are you ready to leave? And he wasn't quite ready to leave just yet. He kept arguing and fussing. So we just held him there. And after a while, he realized he wasn't getting out of it. And his girlfriend was trying to talk sense and told him, you just need to go. We, just, we should just leave. And so he finally said, all right, I'm going to leave. I said, are you sure? Yes. I said, if you're, if you're fibbing with me, I'll put you back in this headlock. <laughs> he says, no, I'll, I'll leave. And he got up and he left. Last I ever saw of him. That's the last fight I ever remember ever having. I mean, how often do people actually come after you like that with, with uh, you know, fists and, and stuff like that to fight? It isn't that often. Most times what we face are people with words. And people use their words against us. And people say things either in front of us or behind our back. These are the things we come against the most. This is what Jesus is teaching us how to handle. That's what we need to do. When that guy decided to launch off the sofa, you know, blessing him at that time was not a real good option. Now, I tried not to hurt him. You know, a headlock, it gets painful, but as soon as you release it, it's not painful anymore. It's not like if you punch somebody, 
then it hurts, and it continues to hurt for a long period of time after that. <laughs> it's not like that. It was just, uh, you know, he just needed to understand some things, and, and he got going. That was a long time ago. I don't even know how many years ago that was. Probably something like 30 years ago. And uh, you just don't run into that. But you constantly run into people saying things against you. This is what Jesus is teaching us how to handle, how to come against it. Bless those Let's read it again. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Pray for them. How, what's it mean by pray for them? It means to pray for them. <laughs> now, it does not mean to pray against them. Because sometimes, Father God, just take them down. Take them down. <laughs> no, it says to pray for them, not to pray against them. We sometimes want to get spiritual and we'll pray against them. Father, I thank you that all manner of evil will occur to that one. I thank you that their car will break down. <laughs> That's not what he's telling you to do. That's going outside of the realm. What you need to do is follow the rest of the contacts, you know, blessing and doing good and so forth. Pray for them. Father, I thank you that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will come into their life, that they would be saved. I thank you that you are working on their behalf and let them see that the way they're going is the way of death. But they can go the way of life. Pray for them. I mean, they're not one of God's kids yet, probably. But God would sure love them, like them to be. Pray for them in that way. And you can do it. It's real tough to, to have a wrong attitude for people that you're praying for. Now, you can't get out there and pray for everyone. So he's just saying, all right, we'll narrow it down. Just pray for those who spitefully use you, persecute you. <laughs> that narrows it down a little bit, doesn't it? Well, that's, uh, that's the love part. That's really the longest part of this. But let's take a look at the true obedience part as well. In James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know something to be good and you don't do it, it is sin. It does not do any good to go to God and say, But God, they're, not, they're doing it too. They may not know that it's bad. But apparently you do. And even if you are mistaken... Even if you think something that isn't right is right and you don't do it, guess what? It's sin. <laughs> Word of God also teaches us whatever is not of faith is sin. There needs to be faith there. We need to know what the will of God is. But he teaches us here. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If we are going to obey God, I obey what I know to do. I don't sit here and point fingers at other people. They aren't doing it, and they aren't doing it, and they aren't doing it. They may not know to do it, or they may know better. You don't know. But you deal with what you have. Bless those folks that are out there. Say good things about them. Don't go around there saying nasty things. It is not, do I appear to be obedient but do I know I am obedient that's the thing too often Christians are trying to appear to be obedient God doesn't care if you appear to be obedient he wants you to know that you're obedient there's a difference you can hide from others but you cannot hide from yourself I can keep from other people the things that I'm doing but I cannot keep it for myself I will know and that's why he says this to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So true obedience, it does not mean that you have to obey everything that is written in the Word of God. 
How many of you are glad for that? Because I don't know everything that's written in the Word of God. That's not what it means. What it means is you obey what you know is in the Word of God. That's what it means. And you keep pressing on to learn some more. But you obey what you know. Have a joy. That was the other one that he was talking about last week. True joy. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The joy that it truly comes, the true joy, is not a joy that, oh, I feel for a little while. Oh, this is good. Oh, I am so glad to be in the family of God. Oh, I'm so glad. And then a week or two later, oh. No, that's not true joy. True joy lasts. True joy is continual. He goes on in John chapter 17, verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He wants you to have His joy fulfilled in yourself. That's what He wants. He wants you to have His joy. Not your joy. His joy fulfilled in you. That's what He wants for you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We live in a society where we are told, you know, you're joyful when good things happen, you're joyful when circumstances go your way. But he says, no, it is, you are filled with joy. And he associates it here with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with joy. If you aren't feeling joyful, guess what you need to do? Get filled with the Spirit. Some of you will say, I was filled with the Spirit. I went out and I got prayed for. I got filled with the Spirit. Good. But the Word of God says, keep being filled. Keep being filled. How many of you on these hot days fill up your glass of iced tea? One time. No. We fill it continually. You know the stories of me and going out to restaurants. I will wear a waitress out. I know I need to give her an extra tip because I will just plain it out, wear her out. By the time dinner has gotten there, I have already gone through six iced teas or Diet Cokes. Maybe even more, depending upon how long it is they take. Chris and I were coming home from the shore. We were doing bunk bed deliveries down there. And uh, we were getting ready to leave Ocean City, my favorite place on the face of the earth, Ocean City, New Jersey. And we delivered two to two families, three sets of bunk beds down there. Got them all done. Went up on the boardwalk. You know, we had lunch up there at the... Only pizza place to ever eat. If you ever go to Ocean City, the place that you have pizza at, it's the only place that has lines. All the other places you can get into, there's no lines. There's only one place. They have three openings, three places on the boardwalk. Only one place that has lines. If there's a line, guess what? It's good. It's good. We were there earlier in the year, and uh, we were there. They had, it was, it was still in the spring, but they had about six pizza places open. And only one of their locations was open. There was a line that took you 15 to 20 minutes to get through to get to the pizza place. And all the other pizza places, you could just walk in. Mac and Mancos. If you're going to go out and have some pizza, go over to Border, Ocean City Boardwalk, tell them I sent you. <laughs> it will have absolutely no effect on your visit there at all. But <laughs> You can tell them that. But we went in there and we had the, the Mac and Mancos pizza and, and then we were walk, going on off and walking the boardwalk. wasn't really a whole lot to do. And uh, there was no waves in the ocean. We were thinking of going out there and riding some waves. So we just uh, packed it up and came in. So as we were leaving town, I said, you want something to drink before we go? And he said, sure. So we pulled into the McDonald's and got one of their, really, their large $1 iced teas. I had mine finished before I was over the bridge 
leaving Ocean City, New Jersey. Mine was gone. He still had his by the time we got back. I said, you didn't finish that yet? He says, no. (laughs) Now, he can usually keep up with me on all that, but I'll tell you what. You give me a full cup, it will not be full for very long. I can put it down. Don't just be filled with the Spirit once. Keep continually being filled. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You need more joy in your life, get more of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's people out there that think they've got to get joy another way. The joy comes in a bottle. does not come in a bottle. It comes from the Holy Spirit. He fills you up. And He doesn't wear off as long as you keep being filled. Just keep staying in His presence. That's the joy that you want to have. Romans 15, verse 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's involved in here again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The true joy of God is something you are filled with, not something you generate. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Be filled with the joy of God. Don't be sitting there saying, if only this happens in my life. If only I get this in my life. Then I'll be happy. Then my joy will be full. No, all you need is God. And God will fill you with joy. It doesn't matter if you're unemployed, unmarried, no kids, no dog, no cat. That's probably a good thing. (laughs) No, I'm always just messing with the cats. No car. No, don't matter what you don't have. All you need is God and your joy can be full. Stop thinking, if I only get this, then I'll be happy. Because you won't ever be. The joy of God you are filled with. And if you're not filled with it, it's not because you don't have this over here. It's because you're not filled. Get filled with the joy of God. That's the true joy. The true joy of God is not based on circumstances. It's not based on whether you got a raise. It's not based on whether you have a job. It's not based on whether you have a spouse. It's not based on whether you live near family or live away from family. It's not based on whether you live in Ocean City, New Jersey or some other place in the world. It is based on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the true joy. True joy, true obedience, and true love. We walk in these things. We are bearing fruit. This is what Jesus spoke about last time. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the branch bears fruit. That's its intention. And he began to talk about joy, obedience, and love. We're going to do more to identify what the fruit is. But we just wanted to spend more time on these three things because that's what Jesus spent time on last time. True love. Walk in the true love. Walk in true obedience. If you know it to be true, walk in it. You may even say to God, God, I'm not sure if this is true. I think this is true. This is what I'm going to walk in. But if it's not true, reveal it to me in your Holy Spirit. Let me know. But don't sit there and look at other people. Well, they're not walking in, and they're not walking in, and they're not walking in that. doesn't matter. It's what you know to do. If you know to do it, do it. That's what you need to do. Because you cannot hide from yourself. Walk in true obedience. Walk in true joy. Walk in true love. 
So those who say evil about me, I will speak good of. Those who hate me, I will get the good things from God that will benefit them. I will go to God and get the good things that are needed. Healing, salvation, whatever it is that they need. I will get them from God and bring them to them. Those who use and persecute me, I will pray for. I will pray for those people. Can't pray for everybody. Realize that. So he's saying, all right, let's focus first off on those who, who persecute you. I will stay obedient to what I know. I will stay obedient to what I know. And my joy is not based on external circumstances, but internal power. My joy is not based on external circumstances, but internal power. That's what we have from God. What is fruit? What is fruit? Fruit is walking in love. Fruit is walking in joy. Fruit is walking in obedience. When we do these things, when I choose to obey, when I choose to walk in love, when I choose to remain joyful, I am bearing fruit. When I love those who are my enemies, I am bearing fruit. Jesus said, For what is it to love those who love you? He said, Even the tax collectors love those. He said, But you love your enemies. How many of you have enemies? I mean, not enemies that they're trying to kill you. Just enemies that they want to, you know, have some, get something that you have. Put you down. We have enemies. If you have enemies, you can bear fruit. Because you bear fruit not by loving those who love you. You bear fruit by loving those who don't love you. So target those people that are in your life right now. Those people that are out there that don't love you. How am I going to walk in love to them? When they get into a hard place and they need something from God, guess what? You can go there and get it for them. They need healing, go out there and get it for them. Now, you've got to be careful. You make sure that you get the right thing. Did Jesus give healing to everyone? Yeah, He did. Did, did Jesus cast the devil out of anyone who came to Him and asked the devil to cast out for? Yeah. But notice what Jesus stayed away from. How many people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need money? The only one we know of is Peter. But see, we're not commissioned to do that. In the Great Commission, we're not told, lay hands on those and they will get jobs. Because sometimes the reason people are in the financial situation they are is because they're in disobedience to God. Not talking about Christians. They can do that too. I understand that. But unsaved people, folks, God can't have the hand in their finances that He would like to. So don't get yourself stuck in a place where, well, you know, they need a job and, and they're uh, my enemy and I need to... No. You've got to follow the example that's in the Word of God. What good did Jesus do to those who were against Him? Follow that example. That's what you do. You didn't buy them cars. You didn't get them jobs. You didn't bless them financially. He prayed for their sick, cast out their demons, and he taught them the Word of God. Those are the things you do. Doesn't mean that God won't answer financial prayers. He will. Absolutely. Thank God. We covered that just a few weeks ago, looking at how God answers our financially what the Word of God had to say about those things. But you see, if, if you do things 
that are wrong scripturally, you can move yourself out of the place of getting financially blessed. Don't go out there and looking at all the people that don't, aren't financially blessed the way you are and say, well, they must be more disobedient. That is not the way you can figure that out. There's nothing to do with it. <laughs> don't look at that at all. I'm just I'm only saying all this so that you know, if you have somebody out there who's an enemy and they lost their job, you cannot pray for them. Father God, find them a new job. They're not born again. That's not something you can do. They are born again. You probably can. But if they're not born again, finances are not something God ever gave us an example that you were to do. And yet constantly, how many times have we been taught, if you have an enemy, buy them a coat, buy them a car, pay off a bill, give them something. But that's not what's in the Word of God. The Word of God is lay hands on them for them to be healed. Cast out the devil. They got the devil in them. Teach them the Word of God. Love on them. These are the things we are to do. Let's make sure we follow the example that's in the Word of God and not some things that some people came up with that we ought to do. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You that we can walk in true love. We can walk in the true joy that comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we can walk in true obedience. That You are always shaping our understanding of what the Word of God has to say. But how we understand it is how we are to walk in obedience to it. Father, I thank You for the help that You give us to overcome, to be victorious. That though there are people all around us who speak evil and mean evil against us, we will not speak evil back. We will not curse those who curse us. But out of our mouth, we will bless those who curse us. And the world will look at us and say, Why do you do that? They will, be, they will see the testimony of our God testimony of His strength in us, His joy, His life, His grace, His mercy. Oh, Father, we thank You for it. And we give You the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.